0: Welcome to Inside the Hive. This is your co-host, Joe Hagan. I'm here with Emily Jane Fox. Hello, Emily.
1: Hi, I'm, I could barely stand it. I'm so excited for our guest that we have today. She's a woman who needs no introduction, but we're going to introduce her anyway. We're here with Bess Levin, who is a politics correspondent with us at the Hive. If you haven't read her, you've probably been asleep or under a rock or dead inside. Bess, hi. I'm so happy that you're here. Oh, I'm so
0: thrilled to be here with both of you. Yes, this is uh, your your world premiere on <laughs> on our own Inside the Hive. You are Inside the Hive. Technically, you're, you live there.
2: That's true. And
0: uh, so it's just it's long overdue that you're here, and we're so happy to have you here. And we're so happy to have you here on the subject that we will be addressing today, which is broadly speaking, uh, the Trump family. What the fuck? Uh, so that's sort of the broad thing, and within that, we have new reporting that we're bringing you. Emily Jane Fox has had some uh, a peek inside the pages of the new Jared Kushner memoir. What's the name of that
1: memoir? Breaking history, breaking history. Which he certainly and then is. There's
2: more to that.
0: <laughs> yes, there's a
1: longer title.
0: There's a bunch of other words after that, um, and it's a 500-page book, I heard. So. If you need to prop the door open, uh, you you can do that. If you don't want to read about his um, diplomatic genius, then you can at least keep your door open. So, you know, there's so much to talk about here because it's not just—it's it's what's been coming out of this book and drips throughout the media are little revelations here. But, you know, they've also made pretty distinct, I would say, cameos in the January 6th committee with these sort of weird— kind of ghoulish videos where they just look like these kind of um, millennial Ken and Barbie sort of situation. I can't really put my finger on what that is. Uh, It's it's is. They've been disturbing. They've been disturbing. And then, sadly, Ivana Trump uh, just died in kind of this horrible way. She falls down some stairs and Tree. dies. And they bury her on a golf course, naturally. and uh, And the sons have all these bizarre things to say. So we're going to get into all this. But why don't we start, uh, just for a moment, Emily, why don't you bring us right up to the page on uh, what it is that you learned getting into Jared's uh, memoir?
1: Well, I did the job that no one else wanted to do. (laughs) I have gotten a little sneak peek at Jared Kushner's forthcoming very long memoir. Um, It is exactly what you would expect it to be, but I, I will say... You know, I've covered these people within an inch of their lives and have written basically every single thing that there is to write about them. And so it was kind of fascinating for me to see things that I have written about from a different perspective. Yes. With that said, this book is wacky. And uh, the parts that I have seen outside of the other excerpts that other news outlets have run, and we can talk about those things too, uh, have to do with his... The beginnings of his relationship with his wife, uh, the beginnings of his relationship with his father-in-law, and some dealings in the White House, including interaction with Chris Christie, and the video with Ivanka Trump at the G20 with their world leaders that appeared to snub them. Uh, oh, wow. He to snub in Ivanka on that. Trump. He does. So I'll, st- I'll start there because I was actually like, whoa. So- he starts off this scene at the G20 with a phone call between his wife, Ivanka, and his father-in-law, then President Donald Trump. And he is saying to Ivanka on the phone, he being Donald Trump, saying to his daughter... It's a real shame that I can't meet with Kim Jong-un when I'm over here in Asia for the G20. But there's this whole diplomatic process and you have to write him letters and the letters have to be flown in. Like, how the fuck am I going to get through to this guy? I wish I've heard he, he follows my Twitter. I wish that I could just tweet at him do you think I should do that? I think I'm going to do that. And Ivanka says something like, well, that would certainly be your way, dad. And so they hang up the phone and he does that. He tweets at him being like, I'd love to meet you when I'm in South Korea tomorrow. And then Ivanka is allegedly asked by then Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, who's now been assassinated, to speak at the G20 summit on issues of women empowerment. And Jared goes into what an honor that was for his wife and that all the world leaders opted to attend this summit held by Ivanka Trump. And then afterward, a 20-second video was posted by the French government that he says was totally out of context and that all those people in the video deeply respect his wife, but the media is out to get them and makes it seem like, Christine Lagarde, who is the head of the IMF, is snubbing his wife and not interested in what she has to say, and that it was very painful for Ivanka. It really stung. And that as a husband, he wished that he could better make her feel like what she does matters, but that it was just another example of um, the media being out to get them. And I believe there was a quote at the end that was something like, it really made us feel like the only things that mattered to us were our faith, our family, and and what we came here to Washington to do. So that was that that one instance of the wow. excerpt, which I found really fascinating, um, because it's obviously like a different reality than the rest of the world lives. And I think that that a peek into their different reality of a moment that we all witnessed for what it actually was was a little fascinating into their their psyches.
2: Yeah,
0: Jared and Ivanka have feelings too. They do. And uh, even though their father and father-in-law is the world's greatest bully and a democracy-destroying uh, monster, you should know that we sometimes get hurt. Our feelings get hurt behind the scenes. If Can you I ask cut you, them, they bleed. Let me ask you something, <laughs> Bess. I feel like my understanding of Jared and Ivanka as people is kind of opaque, I don't know if that's just how all of us are able... We can't really access who they are, like... But if you had to kind of, like, describe to them in shorthand for me, like, as a person who doesn't know them, who are these people? Like, I mean, Jared's the son of, like, a criminal, right? So he's pissed right, off yeah. about that, and that's Convicted why he... criminal, yeah. And he's got it out. There's a whole thing in, in Emily's uh, report that's, I think, about Chris Christie and Jared's conflict in the White House, and we can get into that, but, like... Give me your sort of quick and dirty on these two.
2: I mean, I kind of assume there's not a lot going <laughs> Emily might know better. She's done more of the the inside these people, but I to me I assume there's not a lot going on below the surface. I kind of try to every now and then picture them in their home when they're just home together and I I don't I don't think there's a lot of like depth that we we're, we're not seeing I, although I assume you know when they were in the white house it was a lot of how dare these people can you can you believe this but you know jared is jared is i think what we know he is he grew up a very privileged kid i call him the boy prince of new jersey
1: and as a jersey girl yourself you I'm have, allowed to say like that. You, I feel like yeah, you yeah. have authority when saying that.
2: Yes, thank you. Um as you as you noted Joe, uh the son of a well-known <laughs> well-known convicted criminal. One of my favorite Jared anecdotes was in a very old New York Magazine article from a long time ago. I think it was maybe 10 years ago. I believe Gabe Sherman wrote this article. Yes, I think Gabe Sherman wrote this. And it was about his father, Jared's father, Charlie Kushner. And it was, you know, for for listeners who are unaware, Charlie Kushner, he was doing, I think it was campaign finance stuff that you're not supposed to do. And all sorts then of, all sorts of things, all sorts of things. And he found out that his brother-in-law was cooperating
1: with with the uh, the feds. And so, I mean, this is. I'll stop tr- you there, B- Bess. Not only was he cooperating with the feds, but the district attorney who was taking on the case was none other than Chris Christie. Yes.
2: Right. Exactly. Um, this is almost you. You can't find a person who thinks that that Trump is a more evil tumor on, like, the pancreas that is America than me. But this, what he did, can you even imagine Trump doing this? So he sets up, to get back at this guy, he sets him up with a prostitute sex worker and he films the encounter and then he sends it to his sister And so anyway, to bring it back to Jared, Jared, I think this was a quote to, I guess, our friend Gabe, which was that he believed that Chris Christie was totally out of line for getting involved in this and that um, it was basically that, you know, blackmail and other other things of this nature are, I think, in his words, family matters. Um, So this is the sense of (laughs) entitlement of who this person is. You know, he's has he ever did he ever hold a job that that wasn't given to him by his father or father in law? No, I don't think so. And then, you know, we've got woman who works uh, Ivanka Trump, and I think they're sort of made for each other. But again, I don't think Emily can correct me, but I don't really I don't think that like if we probe down deep inside, there's truly like another side to them that we're not seeing or that we're not giving them credit
1: for. It's Radhika Jones, editor in chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. You hit a nail on the head and them being made for each other, and the fact that both of their fathers are distinct in their own assholeness. And I think that I say this all the time, and uh, I feel like I repeat myself a lot when I say this, but they have need holes from their father that are in the exact same spots. And their fathers are very similar in who they are and how they not in how they raise their children, but in the damage that they inflicted on their children be- because of who they are. And I think that that is beyond their obvious privilege and the fact that they run their father's real estate empires in New Jersey and New York, and uh, they went to the same kind of schools and their relationship was mutually beneficial. They, they are just damaged in the exact same way in the exact same spot, and they're able to really relate on that. I think that they love each other. And that's very clear in in both all of my reporting and this book. And I think that what's fascinating to me in this book is years ago when I was reporting on my book about them, I had someone send me emails. It was like someone who dated Jared in college and in their early mm-hmm. 20s. And she sent me emails between the two of them. They never published because I felt weird about it. And also it doesn't didn't add anything, but it, this book reminded me of it. And the emails were like so lame <laughs> in what they suggested to do. Like all, he was naming his perfect Sunday and it was like, I want to do yoga and sip coffee and read the New York times in full and print. And I was like, these are the emails you're like sending your like long distance girl. It was like so right lame to me, but this book in the details of him dating Ivanka in the early years, had that same vibe to them. Like they went to lunch as their first date in their early courtship. He was so excited to walk around New York with her and see areas of New York that Ivanka Trump had never seen because he was scouting for development. Right. And wow. that's uh, romantic. On Sunday mornings? Very. Nothing says ro- romantic like gentrification. And They would go on Sunday mornings to local restaurants and bring their backgammon set and the New York Times and sip coffee. And that was their their early courtship. And it seems ick to people who have a sense of irony, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And particularly to describe your early courtship that way. But I think that they're just... That's the, that's the level of depth and, and surface right. and, and irony that they have. So I think, right. I think you're right. Of course, when you get home and take your bra off and turn the lights off, you see a different side of people. And I obviously have not been privy to that side. <laughs> but I think that the side that they show most people is, is this. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, they both seem, you know, they're so uh, kind of put together and refined in all the ways that their parents aren't as if they are sort of like iterative marketing tools for the, all the terrible things about their parents. Do you know what I mean? It's a sort of a strange thing to say, but they seem like kind of constructed, you know? And mm-hmm. they don't have that the lack of depth, the sort of surfaceness of it is almost like the point of how they want to present, right? And not be seen as like crude monsters.
1: Well, um, I'll tell you what, The when I was writing this book, I thought about this a lot and I talked to some, some therapists and they explained to me that narcissists see their children as mirrors. So they want their children to reflect all the qualities that they believe about themselves, even though those qualities aren't true. So oftentimes, sensitive children of narcissists will go out of their way to be the mirrors that their fathers or parents want to have reflected back to them. And I think that that's what you see in the Trump children. Do you think that's why Trump hates Don Jr. so much because he's not
2: reflecting back what he wants to see in himself. I think
1: that there are things that he really likes about Don Jr. that he, the ability to rile up a crowd, to really speak to this base of people. I think that that really speaks to him. But I think that a lot of the other stuff does not speak to him and does not reflect the mirror back that he wants to see. Yeah. Bess, I'm so curious because you have covered every single day. Of the Trump administration, the happenings, the characters—that has included the Trump children, that has included the president, that has included sort of anyone who's in the news at this moment—the evolution of the brand Trump, the name Trump, the the kind of the chaos around him—it um, has evolved, and both has. I guess it's both evolved and has not evolved at the mm-hmm. same time. And we're now seeing him hosting the Saudi golf tournament in Bedminster and burying his his ex-wife at the course, uh, as some have noted, uh, that would give them a tax break because if you use non-cemetery land right. to bury someone, you get a tax break on that. So I'm curious as we head into, into 2024 territory, where in your mind the Trump brand stands and What has changed in your covering of this brand?
2: Look, we all knew, sorry, we didn't all know, but a a lot of us, I I would hope that we could say the people who work for The Hive and et cetera knew that that he certainly should not have been elected president. That was going to be a terrible, terrible thing for the country and that no, he wasn't just this sort of harmless carnival barker idiot. But clearly, after the last, you know, the four years in office and then however long it's been since then, I think it's been a year and a half, it's just, it's gotten so much darker, I think. Obviously, because he (laughs) incited an insurrection and almost got his VP killed. And, you know, we're hearing his his plans for the second term. Axios had that um, big investigative story about how, you know, he's going to purge the administrative state of tens of thousands of civil servants and just install loyalists. And so, you know, obviously, I just, i a friend and I joke that Sometimes he does stuff that obviously is unintentionally but like he's just sometimes you want to just be able to laugh at his stupidity but like and it would be great if he wasn't present and didn't have any power like that sure. would he that would but he he did and he wants more and so it's just it's just so much darker now and it's so much scarier like i I'm married to a person uh, who is British and I don't want to, I don't want to be a liberal cliche, but I've said, if this guy is president again, I am out of here. I can't be in this country. And, you know, you can check back in and maybe I'll still be living uh, in New York, but it's just, it's, it's so much, it's so much scarier. It's not just the, oh, it's him throwing, Throwing paper towel rolls into the crowd in the devastated Puerto Rico, which obviously was awful, and it's it's not just these. Oh, he he sharpied over a map to say actually the hurricane was gonna hit this place. <laughs> it's it's just it feels full on authoritarian, just darkness, and it's it's very scary.
1: It's so interesting to hear. I mean, you you also because you cover these things every day I have such an encyclopedic. Encyclopedic knowledge of the absolute horror show that we all lived through, and so I would honestly, I could hear you talk about all the things that I've blocked out of my brain for a very long time. But but you write about these things with humor, and you have yeah, such I try. An inc- yes, you've been in such such an incredible wit, and it, that's why I think what you read is so intensely popular and such a joy to read. But it must be very difficult to find the humor. You know, it's it's funny to read in some ways it's, it's eye funny to read about yes. the, ma- the map of the hurricane storm or that moment in Puerto Rico, but it's not really funny to read about an insurrection, but you still find the humor in it. And I, the process of that must be fascinating.
2: Yeah. I just, um, I really try to, again, I know I was just talking about the darkness and how I need to flee the country, um, et cetera, but I can't, I can't go to that place every day. Because I would just never be able to get out of bed, so I yes, I try to look at it while while not at all sort of clearly not sugarcoating it, but just try to look at it from the the surreal angle and hope that there is some like catharsis that I can bring to people who are who are also going through this nightmare um, and just feel like so they can they can feel like they're they're reading this um and they're they're not alone and just wanting to like scream into a pillow every well, <laughs> every day. If,
0: if you didn't laugh you'd cry kind yes. of situation and sure. um, and but at the same time the way that your humor works by the way is that there's a sort of cold fury in some of the humor like yes. yeah, you're you're like you just can't believe how horrible this is but and one of the things you wrote about recently to bring it back to Jared Kushner for a minute um His relationship to the Saudi kingdom and the $2 billion that he took and his rationalization of kind of overlooking this murder and saying, oh, well, it's good for women over there. When I I read that, I was just like, oh, my God, you were just a terrible person. But you say, um, you know, Kushner pinky swears that, uh, you know, his investment had nothing to do with the fact that he treated – the Saudi prince and, you know, so nicely while working uh, for the U.S. government, right? Draw us a little further into that particular little uh, side of the story, because that's where a book like Kushner's is really about. I'm going to spin every single thing I can. And you have to kind of like counter spin it and stop the plates from spinning to see what's actually going on.
2: Right. So um, just the quick catch up for those who who uh, were able to block this out of their minds. Lucky you. Jared Kushner. Yes. Uh, he pretty early on, I believe, um, in the Trump administration, he decided he was going to cultivate this friendship with the Saudi crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, who is the de facto leader. His father is still around, but he is the ruler of the country. And there was all these reports about you know there were whatsapping and just it's you know two guys just bonding. And I think Jared his ideal was that the prince was crucial to his his big vision for the Middle East, because you know Jared in his mind solved peace in the Middle East. And so when, when the prince, according to our intelligence agencies, ordered a hit squad to kidnap and dismember via bone saw. Jamal Khashoggi, the um, Saudi dissident, also U.S. resident, um, who who worked for the Washington Post. We know that, so even before Jared's book, there was just one of my favorite New York Times articles was talking about how Jared was really going to bat for him um, inside the White House and how he, I think, told Trump that the prince could weather this criticism just as he had, as he had weathered past criticisms of human rights abuses, et cetera. And it, his, his belief that this was all going to blow over, which was just just so amazing. Because again, this man was chopped up into little pieces by a bone saw. And ultimately, I don't know if Trump needed convincing because he had his own reasons uh, for, for wanting to not crack down and not condemn this. But basically, the guy completely got away with it. Nothing happened. Um, and then in Jared's book, this excerpt that just came out last week, he talked about the situation, and he had an amazing line where I think it was, "While this was terrible, and then it was, you know, I, I wasn't willing to overlook all the all the positive reforms that he had he had made for the country. He let women drive, et cetera, et cetera, and you know, you never want to start a a line about somebody being kidnapped and murdered and chopped into small pieces by saying, well, this was terrible. And it just, uh, it it was amazing to me that he, that's his spin. And then again, for the readers who, who aren't necessarily aware, um, not long after leaving the Trump administration, Jared raised $2 billion from um, the Saudi sovereign wealth fund and you could look at that and say, wow, that seems that seems kinda coincidental. Well he had that his phone he, number, you know, he had sure, his phone number. He could sure. WhatsApp
0: him. Hey, you got two B? Uh, sure.
2: But but the best part of it was that as the New York Times reported, there the due diligence panel for the people writing checks said Absolutely, do not invest with this guy. He has no idea what he's doing. They don't. They don't have an investment thesis. They they basically don't have any employees working for them. There were like just pages and pages of reasons not to give Jared Kushner money that were told to the Saudi wealth fund by the people they employed to tell them these things, and um, it was overridden by um, a friend in a high place in Saudi Arabia. Gee.
1: We'll
2: but Jared says, in- <laughs> "But Jared says, you know, one had nothing to do with
0: the other." There's, you know, another little piece of the reporting that came out was his conflict with Steve Bannon, right? Because oh, they were at odds oh. inside the White House, and Bannon yeah. you know, says, "I'm going to break you in half," which is just like <laughs> hilarious because he's like Job of the Hut versus the little weenie, right. you know, kid. But um, it's just all cartoonish and ridiculous. But uh, after all of this conflict, he sees that uh, Bannon is in a legal jeopardy over uh, raising money off the wall.
2: He would go fund me for the wall. Yeah, yeah,
0: this is unbelievable. And then, uh, but this is this line really just stuck out at me, and I was just like, I actually wrote a little note, what you know, next to it, because he says um, even though he had played dirty and dragged me into the mud of the Russia investigation. But now that he was in trouble, I felt like helping him was the right thing to do, Kushner writes. That's it. That's the entire explanation. Like, it uh, just—he basically imbues himself with a Christ-like forgiveness for having just gotten—for a guy that threatened to break him in half and (laughs) ruin him in the White House. He's like, but I felt like it was the right thing to do. Oh, my God. Well, it's—anyway, one of the things He's a saint. Yeah.
1: He's well, truly, it's it's fascinating that the excerpt um, that the Wall Street Journal ran about his relationship with MBS in, in Saudi Arabia goes into the fact that Jared gave that explanation that you explained best that he has done so such good for Saudi Arabia and when it particularly right. when it comes to women in the country that despite him chopping up a U.S. journalist. He's done so much good, and so sometimes you just have to weigh the good and the bad. Is basically right, what he course, was saying, yeah. and the good there over overrides the bad. And then the the Wall Street Journal rightly notes that that U.S. intelligence came to realize that it was in fact MBS, and sure, that it was despite his denials. Despite, his, despite yeah. his denials, but there is no acknowledgement of that in the. No, book. no, no, There's Jared. No- Jared,
2: I appreciate that they said he doesn't refute it. Because he doesn't even mention it.
1: He doesn't even mention it, yeah. which I think yeah. is um, a very deft way of, of handling that. And I think that kind of tells you everything that you need to know. But it goes back to what we were talking about in terms of them having their relationship with their parents and their damage from their fathers. And and I have always said this about Ivanka, and I believe it to be true about Jared. They are master compartmentalizers. Yes. And um, Ivanka actually once told me because I use that to describe her a lot in my writing, she was like, you always describe me that way. And I think that that's true.
2: Oh. And
1: I was like, okay, this is this self-awareness. Is I, I truly, Fact but checking think, I think, I think uh, a lot of children who have come from parents like that and family situations like that have to be that they're able to separate different parts of themselves and different parts of their relationships with these people in order to be around them. And so I think that because they are these master compartmentalizers who are used to parsing out different things about their fathers and their families, that like these things are bad. So I'm gonna forget about them so that I can take advantage of the good or be around the good. I think that they're you see that at play in the White House and in their relationships around the world. And if you understand the psychology, you and I and and a lot of people listening to this don't have that ability because we've never had to do that, and so we see bad people as bad people. But they see bad characteristics of bad people and take those out and accept whatever good that they can find in them because it serves them. So that's sort of the lens through which they see the world.
0: Yeah, and there's a kind of like, you know, real politic explanation for it. I mean, back to Kissinger, right? Kissinger made all kinds of deals and with nasty, horrible people in order to achieve different ends. So the question becomes, did Jared solve the Middle East problem? Peace problem, and so.
1: Best, I'm going to put I that mean, to you.
2: Oh gosh, I mean, I certainly, I think he, I think he believes he has, and then, yeah, I mean, it seems seems like ship shape. Check check that off. It's all uh, done. My done favorite, and done. M- my favorite uh, analysis of Jared's peace plan. The ec- you because know, he did the economic part first was uh, this is the Monty Python sketch of uh, Middle East peace initiatives, and. <laughs> Perfect. Look, I think Jared is such a great guy, and I would never want to suggest that he didn't achieve what people have worked for for decades and decades to do. So let's just say, yeah, he he solved it.
0: I mean, I actually don't, this is a, an area in which I I have to claim ignorance about what it is that he was trying to do.
2: I think one of the things that people have said about his plan was that he really just believes that the the situation in the Middle East um, and, you know, the situation with Israel, et cetera, is just – he just views it as, like, a real estate situation and, like, a real estate deal. Um, and so he just thinks, like, if you can put some money here and move some things around there. And then I think he famously said that they just need to stop, quote, doing terrorism um, and then <laughs> – and then the problem is solved. So I just don't think he necessarily has the understanding of the situation there. But Emily, um, I you think that have that some-
1: feels right. I, look, I think, I think sentient people know that that there's not peace in the Middle East thanks to Jared Kushner. But if you talk to people who are around him, they believe that he has made great strides, and. Yes perception is reality to a lot of these people who have then decided to give him money, right? Mm -hmm. Because because he talks about it in such a way and his father-in-law, who's a master brander, has talked about his accomplishments in such a way that people around him believe it and uh, have enough faith in him because of that branding that they are willing to give him a lot of money for a fund that is also populated by money from the Middle East. And uh, I don't think that there's a coincidence there. And I think that for his purposes, it has worked. It doesn't matter if there's actual peace in the Middle East. It doesn't matter if actual progress was made or not. It it matters that it has led to him being able to raise this fund that will make a very rich man even richer for the rest of his life.
2: Yes, I think all these people... You know, it's the famous. It's not a lie. If you believe it, yes, they say it enough times, it's true.
1: Yeah.
0: Yes. Well, and it gets back to the uh, the larger idea of the Trumps as this branding machine, and you know, we create reality by creating an entertainment product that bludgeons mm-hmm. you into believing it's true by making it so sticky and attractive that you. I mean, it. That's how the media got addicted to Trump. We're all implicated in that, um, and and how the the people who are into Trump you know, the Trump believers, you know, they're addicted to this personal relationship that they have developed with this brand, you know? And it has to do with entertainment, has to do with being stimulated on their internet sites and the social conspiracy theories and feeling like they have, they're empowered to know things that the mainstream media doesn't. And that's the whole underground tunnel to Trumpism, right? Which brings me back to this, what I found that I just was reading about Ivana Trump's funeral at the golf course. And if you couldn't, you couldn't make this up as a scene in a movie. I mean, it really is. The whole family has come together are on the golf course to put the gold-hued Coffins. coffin into the ground. There's a poster board, by the way, of, um, of Ivana Trump on the cover of Vanity Fair magazine in 1992 with the headline, Ivana Be a Star. Right? yeah, you just this is like here we are. We have arrived at this completely surreal Trump moment where all the brand values have come together in one place. Talk about this what you guys have observed about this whole thing.
2: Well, um, I don't know if we were talking about this earlier if we've uh, if we mentioned at the top of the show, but it was um you heard about the eulogies, so uh, donald Donald Trump Jr. Gave a speech, speech uh, about how recounting a time when he, I guess, acted inappropriately at a at a restaurant and. She took him aside and basically it sounds like beat him with an inch of his life, and and he was so proud to tell this
0: yeah. With a wooden story. spoon? Was that the wooden spoon one?
2: I, I, I don't actually remember if that was the wooden spoon story because I think that might have been a different one because <laughs> where would she get this wooden spoon? I guess maybe she could take it from the yeah. the kitchen. The kitchen. No, I, I don't um, remember,
0: but it was all about corporal punishment, Ivana being kind of Eastern European-style uh, <laughs> iron fist on the kids, Yeah
2: all about corporal punishment, and then I'm not sure who it was. I don't know if it was a former housekeeper, but she she then started talking about, you know, the, the parasites who had descended upon her in uh, her was, later years. It was Dorothy,
1: and, their, their longtime nanny who looked after their yes. yeah, children that was for many, yeah. many years. The, one of the things that stuck out to me was in Ivanka's eulogy, she said that her mother reacted when she told her that she was converting to Judaism to marry Jared, that. She must really love him if she was willing to give up lobster, which I think is a very funny line. And yes. in, in the excerpt that I read from Jared's book, he talks about the conversation in which he told Trump that he was converting. And Trump basically said, well, why, isn't, why aren't you converting? <laughs> and Jared's like, yeah, well, yeah. that's a good question, but uh, yeah. this is what your daughter decided independently. And He said, okay, well, I love the Jews. People always think I'm Jewish anyway. All my friends are Jewish. The synagogues love me. They always give me their awards. And uh, that, that- he, he basically said, um, but you better, you know, Ivanka's in the prime of her life and Tom Brady wants to go out with her and Jared says that he joked uh, she should go out with Tom Brady and Trump deadpanned, I know. And that was his uh,
2: interaction. He frequently returns to the Tom Brady,
1: the fantasy that that
2: they were going to. I think, you know, in the last few years, they've been they've been married for 10 years and he's still talking about how she could have dated Tom Brady.
1: Oh, I get it. I I probably would never stop talking about that either. Yeah. (laughs) I would Um, would continue on with that forever.
2: But yes, Trump, huge, so big with the Jews. He loves them. He's got so many he's got Jewish grandchildren. He
1: that's yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> now uh, I just want to say that um the the report about the funeral uh, in the New York Times was written by Jacob Bernstein, you know, son of Nora Efron. Beautifully done. Yeah. Be- beautifully done. Son of Nora Ephron and Carl Bernstein. Um and he describes the kicker to it was really great. You know, that the casket after they said their their words. Uh, was going over to the golf course at Bedminster uh, where the ground was consecrated so that she could have a traditional Catholic burial and then this is the kicker it was in a way the former couple's final joint real estate deal um, beautiful. which is just kind of a, a beautiful bit of poetry there and back to the real estate thing which we keep bringing up because these are real at the science of real estate guys they treat the Middle East like a real estate deal it's like we're living in this uh, real estate um, reality TV show, right? Uh, that won't seem to go away.
2: When I heard that she was being buried there, like, ha- is she the first person to be buried at this golf course? Have they buried people there before? Is it I'm not, not sure. off-putting to people playing golf there that there's a bot? I I have so many questions, and I saw that same thing on Twitter about how you know he probably got all kinds of tax breaks um for this and and that sounds that sounds right but then i would be surprised that he hasn't buried people there before
0: i think he's prepping it for himself too isn't that true
1: <laughs> there were i think probably. there were 10 plots i read this somewhere that there were 10 plots set aside for those close to him that there is a, a tax break situation allowed sure. in this instance I think it's a, have you ever been to Bedminster? Have you, I'm sure you have as a New Jersey person. You've been by there.
2: Yes, it's it's okay. horse
1: country, yeah. It's yeah, horse yeah. country. It's quite sprawling. I don't yes. know that it's like in the middle of the golf course, though that would be something. Um, but there's a lot of land Whole there. I would nine. imagine it's like, yes, exactly. I would imagine it's sort of off the beaten path, but who knows? I don't know, maybe yeah, no, it becomes it's, a, it's, a destination. It's near the
0: clubhouse, I read. and um, But you can't Perfect. get to it unless you have like, you know, a VIP pass. You know, right? And that's a special VIP pass to get into Trump. Uh, I'm sure they'll charge. You know, it was a
2: small. I saw a photo. It was a small headstone. I was surprised that it wasn't more Trump-like, gold-plated. But maybe. Well, she's an right. ex-wife. That's,
1: that's true. true. His current wife still has to live there. That's true. So it, it, I, I'm sure it has to be small as possible in order to right. get away with it. As we head into this new era of possibly Trump, possibly not Trump, who are the people that you're having the most fun writing about? Oh, God. I mean, fun? (laughs) Who are you enjoying? I
2: I don't know if fun's the word. I'm writing a lot about Ron DeSantis these days, because if possible, he's worse than Trump. How? Oh, I mean, you know, he's, it's in the way that everyone has always said, which is that if Trump were actually competent, he could have gotten a lot worse things done. And so I think that DeSantis is definitely more competent than him because most people are. Um, there was that great New Yorker article about him. I think it came out a couple months ago. And yeah, the
0: Dexter Filkins <laughs> uh, profile, yeah.
2: Yes, and they, they talked to uh, you know, a bunch of people he played baseball with in college, and yes, people can change since college. But having said that, I think one of the quotes was just about how no like he lives to humiliate people, and there's no one is a bigger dick than him, and that kind of seems like how he how he governs. He he punishes people who don't agree with him. Disney um, I think he recently sued uh, over the, the drag brunch. So, yeah, and, and, and if it's not Trump, I think he has a very good chance. So that's scary. Um, I haven't really answered your question of who I – You know, Can I chime in there sure. just
0: about DeSantis for a minute? Yes. Uh, we hear a lot about him. We hear his name constantly. And obviously he's got political potency in Florida. But what we haven't seen is really seen him out on the national stage in a way that has been defining yet, right? That's There's true. so much talk about him as this nascent guy. And how many times has this happened in previous selection cycles where they talk for months about a character? Then he he appears on stage for the first time, and everybody's like immediately underwhelmed or they fall on their face immediately, and it's like, oh, this is what we've been raving about for the last year. He strikes yes. me as somebody that could fall into that department, and I'll tell you yes, why. Yes, and there's so much time. Yeah, there's just – there's so much time, and there's – he has to have a defining personality that people want – are attracted to. They can't just like him simply as a assholic bludgeon to go after their enemies, although – because Trump had more than that, right? Trump was an asshole, but Trump was entertaining, and he gave yes. them some something, right? Mm-hmm. Does he have that kind of like a song and dance – you know, top hat and cane kind of vibe to him, which I don't think he does. I'm just going to put that out there as like, let's plant that seed and uh, maybe I'll seem like a genius a year from now. But I just want you to take that into consideration.
2: No, I, that, I fully agree with you. And I think how, how far out are we now? I mean, I know people start running now like five years before the election, but there's so much time for him to just flame out. Um, And that would be great. But, you know, Emily, to answer your question, I really have a, I really will always have a soft spot for writing about Jared Kushner, specifically him, not more than even Ivanka, because
1: there's just there's just something about him. Well, that, I have news for you. I don't think they're going around anywhere. So true. you will have plenty of of content, and you will have to keep them honest and yes. give us your take on all of the foibles. Uh, I think that this book will give you a lot of material. The book doesn't come out until the end of August, so you have weeks of excerpts coming out for you to chew on and have fun with and we can't wait to read it. And we're just so grateful to finally get you here and to hear your your beautiful wisdom on Inside oh. the Hive. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was delightful.
0: Um we will be back again in a couple of weeks. Because uh, we are going to be having um, some special episodes in August to uh, review some of our greatest hits of the last couple of years. So stay tuned for that. And uh, soon enough, we'll be at Memorial Day and pivoting into the fall. And God knows what will befall us then, but we will be here to document and opine and cry about it. And laugh. And it's great. And yeah. laugh. <laughs>